listening to another life-inspiring message brought to you by Central Assembly of God. For more information, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram using at Enid Central. Well, we've been in a series uh, on the parables of Jesus, uh, lessons from the greatest teacher that is uh, we've ever been graced to learn from, the Good Shepherd, uh, the Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And we know that parables aren't fantasies, right? It's not like Aesop's fables. We're not going to see any centaurs or minotaurs jumping around and frolicking. It's not like a J.R. Tolkien uh, deal here. He's using true-to-life stories to illustrate moral principles. And we've covered the parables of the sower. We've covered the parables of hidden treasure, the parable of the vineyard workers. And this week, we're going to take a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Are you... Are you well aware of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Most of us probably are. But before we read in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get there. Um, There's a Black Pew Bible there that's near you, and you can find that in there as well. Uh, Here's some context. Context is always important when it comes to properly understanding Scripture. Uh, So many people cherry-pick a verse out of the Bible and just take it completely out of context. If you really want to properly understand Scripture and properly apply it, it's always a good idea to read a chapter before and even a chapter behind that particular verse so that way you can get an idea. In some verses, you need even more than that. You need to start at the beginning of the book to really get uh, what the author is intending and what the Holy Spirit is intending to communicate. So essentially what's happening here in Luke 10, um, Jesus is he's teaching and he's been confronted by an expert in the law. Uh, this person Uh, Maybe a lawyer could be uh, perhaps a Pharisee. Who knows specifically? We just know they're an expert. Maybe they're even a scribe of sorts. Uh, And Jesus is teaching not just to show kindness to strangers. That's a good biblical thing. But the Lord is wanting to teach more here in this exchange with this guy. This guy pipes up and he he asks Jesus this question. And it's not bad to ask questions. It's uh, scripture actually encourages, encourages that. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. It's the motive that we ask the question with. Um, you know, if we're asking from a place of antagonism, if we're asking from a place of pride or cynicism, that's not really the best motive to ask a question in. It's not like this man was like Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus asked a question uh, that was a genuine, I'd like to know the answer and I'm not trying to trap you. This particular uh, individual was trying to trick Jesus, trap Jesus, and even perhaps uh, make himself look a little bit more studious and like an expert in the law uh, than he he perhaps really was. He wanted to impress those that were around him by schooling a rabbi who is Jesus. And so this guy, he wanted to know, you know, what he could do as far as, you know, the greatest commandments and, and, and inheriting eternal life. And Jesus told him essentially to live according to the law. And the guy should have at that point been like, well, you know, that's, that's impossible for me to live this out completely and perfectly. Um, it's so hard to live out the letter of the law without failure. And instead of this guy showing any kind of humility... Um, you know, when, when the Lord, he expressed, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, uh, the, the guy decided to split hairs over, well, who's your neighbor? What is that? Who is that? And so Jesus had to get into this parable 
to explain to this man what a proper neighbor really is. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Because in that time, it was a very, very popular understanding of the Jewish law that you love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And so Jesus had to address that even on, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. And the whole thing here is that if you're free to hate your enemy, then you're free to choose whom you love and who you don't love. Because if somebody disagrees with you, well, they all of a sudden become an enemy, and then you're released of any moral obligation to show any kind of compassion, any kind of mercy, any kind of grace. Well, because they're my enemy. So while the Jewish law may have made provision for love your neighbor, hate your enemy, Jesus says, no, love your enemy, pray for those that persecute you. And so the Lord modeled uh, in his response to this man, the very thing that the Good Samaritan tries to teach us. Uh, Jesus could have gotten snippy. He could have cut him off short. He could have condemned him. He could have said all kinds of things, but he didn't. He showed grace. He showed mercy. And trying to explain to this really prideful individual that was trying to trap him what a good neighbor looks like. So let's read from Scripture this evening in Luke 10, verses 25 through 38. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. When he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What are some of the things that we can learn from this parable of the Good Samaritan? Some of the things that Jesus perhaps was wanting to teach. I think the first is that it's always easier to make excuses than it is to show neighborly love. Now, we don't get any information about why the priest and why the Levite avoided the battered man that was uh, left for dead on the side of the road. Could it be that they were busy? Perhaps. Um, maybe they had some strict deadlines to meet. Maybe they were late for dinner. I don't necessarily think that busyness is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. I think Jesus is highlighting the deficiency of the law. The strict adherence to the law creates a deficiency in properly loving our neighbors. 
Well, how do we think that maybe that's what's going on here? Well, priests and Levites, they had strict rules about cleanliness and ceremonial cleanliness. And so a person that was dead or bleeding, if they were to touch him and help him and show compassion, it would have caused them to be unclean, which would have prevented them from serving in their temple duties, uh, their worshipful duties in the temple. Uh, Let's say, for example, maybe it was the Sabbath day. And maybe to go and help him, it would have required too many steps. Jesus is trying to teach something. That you can get so bound up in tradition. You can get so bound up in religion that it actually prevents you from being a godly neighbor. Now, I know nobody in here has has ever had to deal with that. Nobody in here has ever used the excuse, yeah, I just can't help you change your tire. I've got to read my Bible. You know, I've got to, just the the book of John is calling to me, the book of James. I just got to get to it. You're just going to have to change your own tire. We should really let this sink in and wrestle with it. Because there are people, there are things within Christendom, there are things within tradition that do prevent us from being good and godly neighbors at times. Now, it's possible to use a spiritual excuse. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't, I got to go pray. You know, I can't, I can't feed you. I can't cook a meal for you. I can't come visit you. Uh, I, I can't help you. I can't, I, I can't uh, write a check to help you. I, I need to go and pray. It's possible to use a spiritual excuse to not show neighborly love. Uh, it could be that the priest and Levite, maybe, maybe, you know, in the story, that's what was going on there. But what about this? Well, I don't want to be associated with those type of people. I can't. I can't be seen with them. If you knew the things that I knew about them, if, I, if you saw me with them, you would think I was one of them. You would think that I endorsed the things that they're doing. So I can't have anything. I just can't have anything. I just won't help them. I won't pray for them. I won't, I won't do anything. Again, Spiritual excuse to not be a good neighbor. I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to be guilty by association. I can't, I can't help you. You know, you're a sinner. So let's be honest. You know, for the religious people in this parable, maybe, 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 you know, they didn't want to be ceremonially unclean. It wasn't good enough for Jesus. That, neither the priest or the Levite met, uh, met the description of what a good neighbor is. But most of the excuses people give today to not be a good neighbor are not very spiritual. They're actually just more flat-out selfish. I don't feel like it. Uh, it's awkward. You know, I don't, I'm too busy. I don't, I don't want to get involved with that. You know, what if they need more than I'm able to give? Uh, I don't, you know, I, I've got things to do. You know, I've got places to go. The command is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So if we put ourselves in the position of the person that was beaten downtrodden, 
And actually, we should be able to, if you want to allegorize this, because we are the people that are beaten and downtrodden in sin, and Jesus came along to help us and nurse us back to health and care for us. So if we want people to treat us that way, we ought to treat them that way. So if we want to be helped, if we want somebody to come and pour oil and wine uh, on our wounds to clean them out and, and provide a meal for us or, or uh, put us on their, their shoulders for a little while and carry us because we're not too strong to walk on our own, we should be willing to do that for somebody else. If we are not, then we're nothing more than hypocrites, nothing more than a resounding gong in the wind. It's easier to make excuses than it is to show the type of neighborly love that Jesus calls us to. Second thing we can learn from this, so the first is it's easier to make excuses and show neighborly love. The second is this, everyone's our neighbor. Everyone. Not just the people that live geographically closest to you. Those are your neighbors, and because of proximity, maybe you have more opportunity to minister to them. But in, in this culture, to the Jew, a Jew was their neighbor. And that was about it. If you're Jewish, you're my neighbor. If you're a Gentile, no. If you're a Samaritan, no. Absolutely not. But God is showing us in this parable that his definitions of what a neighbor is and who a neighbor is go far beyond our own mindset. They, they break the barriers of our prejudices and our biases. You know, maybe, maybe when you were searching for a home, you considered who your neighbors were. Maybe you, you know, gave them a, a neighbor screening survey. Hey, I might move into this house. Can you answer these 15 questions for me? I would put, do you have a dog that barks really loud in the middle of the night at the top in hindsight because it is 2020? Um, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you, uh, maybe, did you get the pun? Okay, good, good. Um, Maybe you did get to pick the people that you lived by, but then they moved and you didn't get to pick the people that moved in after them. You know, we typically don't get to choose our neighbors. And with God, it's no different. You don't get to pick your neighbor. You don't, you don't get to pick and choose who you love and who you show the compassion of God to. At least it shouldn't be that way because everybody is our neighbor. And the shocking thing in this parable is that, that God expects us as Christians to break these social barriers go beyond the social norms to get over things like racism and biases and, and any other divisive thing we've created because we've created so many classes and subclasses. You know, we, we divide by age and by culture and by gender and by vocabulary these days because some people use a set of words concerning gender and other people don't. And if you don't use the set of words that they do, then you are all kinds of phobic, everything, everywhere. And so we're divided by language, we're divided by politics, we're divided by church denominations, we're divided by east side, west side, north side, south side, we're divided by all kinds of other things, but Jesus is saying none of that matters. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We have an obligation to do that. Even if, even if we would say, well, you know, my neighbor is my enemy. Well, it, it doesn't matter. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. It's not easy. It's not easy to love people in general. You, if you've ever lived with another human being, you might understand that sometimes it's not easy to love in general. You, lived, you maybe have a coworker. Maybe you understand it's not easy to always love. It's not easy, easy to always show compassion 
in mercy, but this is the standard we're called to. Luke 6, 33 through 36, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Boy, that's hard. Typically, if somebody is ungrateful and wicked, you don't want to necessarily show kindness. You, you may want to hit him in the mouth if we're honest. But he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. So God loves, we should love, right? It's, it's his desire that none should perish, but we should, uh, we should all be saved, that everybody come to us a knowledge of salvation. We can take a trip over to 1 John 4. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. Uh, though, though the apostle John here was talking about uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, I still think that this applies to more than just believers because we already know that Jesus' command is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we also know that his command is to love your enemies. So they might have offended us. They might have hurt us. They might wear a mask. They might not wear a mask. They might be for vaccines. They might be against vaccines. They might have uh, done a donut in your front yard. They might have cussed you out at work. Uh, they might have flipped you off. It doesn't matter. They might even revel in the damage they've caused. We're still called to love, and it's in more than thought and more than word. And how do we know that? Because we get down to the end of this, and this is point three. What does Jesus tell this man? He says, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. So neighborly love, it does something. It expresses itself in action. You know, the, this expert in the law, he couldn't even say the Samaritan. Who was the most neighborly in this situation? The one who showed mercy. That's how potent the racism was and the tension was between Jews and Samaritans in that day. Uh, the fact that Jesus used a Samaritan uh, to be a good example would have ruffled so many feathers, would have made somebody so mad. You think about a group of people that makes you really, really angry when you see them on television or when you hear about them, and then to have th that group of people used as a good example, that's how it would feel. You would think, what? How is that possible? Why, why are we using these people as a good example? It's exactly, exactly what it would have felt like. And yet Jesus did that because he was trying to prove a point. Uh, race, all that stuff, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You, you just need to be a good neighbor and you need to show that love through your action. There's a strong disdain between uh, Jews and Samaritans. It would have been scandalous to think that a Samaritan would have been helpful for a Jewish person in any way, shape, or form. But here's the thing. It's not neighborly just to see somebody in need and see them half dead, naked, bleeding, and just to keep walking. And, you know, you think about what the Good Samaritan did. 
He sees him. He takes pity. He bandages his wounds. He cleans the wounds, oil and wine, puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, takes care of him, actually pays the innkeeper and, and basically says, here, keep a running tab. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the rest of this whenever I get back. Please watch out for him. Please take care of him. I'll settle accounts with you later. And, and that's probably what I would want if I were left for dead on the side of the road. I wouldn't want the religious people just to walk by me and say, wow, man, you should have prayed harder. You should have. You must not have gone to temple. You must not have, you know, wow, what did you do? You know, I can't touch you. I'll be unclean, so you're just going to have to lay there. Uh, I wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that. So we should be willing to show the kind of love we would expect to somebody else. And saying that we love somebody isn't enough. It's just as easy to imagine this parable if these priests would have walked by and, and stood over the guy laying on the ground and, and saying, you know, I thought about helping you, but I didn't. What good would that do? I thought about getting you a room, but I didn't. You know, we wouldn't buy that God loved us if we read in Scripture, and God thought about sending his son, but he didn't. We would think, you withheld. You didn't express that love. You kept it back for yourself. But we know that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. I don't think any of us would be in this room if God had withheld his son and Jesus wouldn't have given his life. I don't think we would have been here. I don't, I don't think we'd be worshiping him as we do today. And all that to say that God shows sacrificial love and that's what he asks of us. You know, do do people believe it when we tell them that we love them? Do our actions prove that? Because they should. You know, we like to say things like, well, it's the thought that counts. Not really in the kingdom. Not in God's kingdom. It's not necessarily the thought that counts. I mean, sure, it's good to have your motives in your heart in one place. Man, I, I wanted to help. Okay, well... I know there are some situations where you want to help, but you can't. I get that. But if there is a place where you want to help and you can, you should. You know, there's such a thing as a sin of omission. That's not doing what you should do. Instead of doing what you shouldn't, that's a sin of commission. We can be just as guilty of a sin of omission, and that's not doing the things we know we should do. That's sitting on our duffs and walking by somebody, you know, like the person laying dead on the, half dead on the road. So in Christian love, it's not just the thought that counts. We wouldn't feel loved if somebody, if we were starving and somebody walked by and said, I thought about getting you a McDonald's hamburger. You wouldn't feel very loved, you'd think, why McDonald's and why didn't you actually get me one, you know? Or if a person was cold, well, I thought about giving you my coat. Or a person is lonely, well, I thought about calling. We know that love would be communicated if you just did it. So this, this parable, is, it's meant to show us something. Not, not just that the law creates deficiency in, in showing neighborly love, but it shows us that we aren't nearly as compassionate as we ought to be. That oftentimes our love doesn't go far enough to really be considered 
good neighbor. Uh, it's not as sacrificial at times. And when we see that, you know, when we, when we see this example of what a good neighbor is and we, we weigh ourselves against it, if we find that our love falls short to meet, of meeting God's standards, then it should cause us to, to repent and say, Lord, I, I'm sorry that, that I am not uh, the type of neighbor I need to be. And God, help me to love the way that you love. I, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to properly represent you in the community. I, I want to properly represent you to my family. And I understand, you know, love may not be convenient. It can be very, very costly, very costly. But it's the command of Christ. You think of what the love of God cost him. And the Lord calls us to be loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, and we understand that that could cost us something too. And yet, we do it in obedience because we love God. And so here's some practical application this evening before we pray. Uh, homeless bags are something really, really easy to get together. You can put something as simple as socks. You can put a Bible in there. Um, you can do toothpaste, toothbrush, a uh, little $5 McDonald's card. Uh, my family, we, we make them several points throughout the year, and every time we get rid of all the ones that we have in our car, we, we remake them. And, uh, you know, we put things like that in there, just simple things, tissue paper, uh, sanitation, like hand, hand sanitizer, uh, toothbrush, toothpaste, um, a Bible, $5 McDonald's gift card if you want. Sometimes we just put like peanut butter crackers or different just snacks, different things like that. And I've, I've never had one person get that and be upset that they got it. They've always been very, very thankful. Um, and there may be times that the Lord leads something else on your heart to do. Be open to, to God leading you in doing that. Now, I would also say you should be cautious um, because... Man, everybody's got a story, and not all of them are true. <laughs> um, you know, I'm very, very cautious to, to just give flat cash because uh, especially if there is an intense smell of alcohol, I, I don't necessarily want to feed into that. But can I go and get them a bag of groceries? Absolutely. And can I go to the you know, fast food place that's typically really close to them and, and get them a meal? Absolutely. Um, so maybe, maybe it's uh, loving your neighbors, buying a gift for a family you know is in need. Uh, you know, you have to put your name on it. If you know somebody on your street that's having a tough time this Christmas, maybe they've lost their job because of the pandemic. Maybe they're just having a tough time. Maybe, maybe you just go to the store and you, you pick up a gift for them or their kids and you just do the whole ding dong dash thing, you know, just leave the present run. Um, Call somebody, check on them. That's so important right now. So important. Especially as there's a lot of, uh, still a lot of sickness going around and, and people are nervous. And so they, they might feel forgotten about. So call people, check on them. Uh, find a way to serve in your community, serve your church. Uh, please, you know, obviously you can be in prayer. But uh, that's another way to be a good neighbor is to actually serve. I mean, Jesus set this example. He washed the feet of his disciples. Now, I'm not saying that you need to come and, you know, set up a foot washing booth for people walking in. But, you know, if that's something the Lord lays on your heart, go for it. 
Uh, ask God to reveal prejudices and biases. If there's somebody that you can't be a good neighbor to because of something like their skin color or something like the language they speak or something like whether they're legal or illegal or um, they look like you or they don't or maybe they voted differently than you voted, ask God to help you and repent of those things that would prevent you from desiring that person experience Jesus the way that you have. Oh.